Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. I'm tired of the church. We can spend more time blasting a pastor who has multiple streams of income buying his bride a nice anniversary gift instead of being concerned about the bride of Christ. I'm tired of the church. When I hear more talk about what pastor is dating what gospel artist than us getting into life's in the right relationship with Christ. I'm tired of the church. When we can spend a GoFundMe and raise $18 million to build a wall to try to keep people out, but we can't feed those people who are hungry. I'm tired of the church. When these so-called Christians can say that a black man who faithfully attended Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, Illinois, over and over again is a Muslim, but somehow some man who don't know the difference between 2 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians has practically bragged about sexually assaulting people and has had affairs with porn stars is the anointed man of God. I'm tired of this church. sermon and then I'll also be reading from the gospel according to Luke second chapter and I'll be reading the 41st through the 52nd chapter we're gonna do a little bible study today ask all those that are physically able to please stand hear ye the word of the Lord But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came with her husband to offer a yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go their then they would go on their own home. And verse 26 reads, And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. I'll read that again. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. And we'll go over to the gospel according to Luke, the second chapter, starting with the 44th verse. Hear ye the word of the Lord. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. 
But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So now so that it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to him. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus, watch this, increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. Amen. Uh, For this last Sunday of 2018. I want to talk a little bit about I'm tired of this church. I'm tired of this church. You all may be seated. Uh, There's a video that has gone viral this past week. Uh, There are several things that have gone viral this past week. One is, is, is Bird Box which I I happen to see, but since I'm a lectionary preacher and I like to prepare my sermons ahead of time, I don't have a bird box sermon for you all. But 1 Samuel and the gospel according to Luke actually were on the lectionary for this week. And it happened to tie in with what I was talking about. For those who do not know, there was a six-year-old boy in Oakland, California who was at a Christmas service and was supposed to get up and give a Christmas speech. And they handed the microphone to the young man. He looked at the crowd and said, I'm tired of the church. Oh, Oh, that's That's a beautiful... Handed the microphone back to the adult that gave it to him and went and sat down. Just as plain as that. The boy said, why the reason it went viral is because the boy said what a lot of us are thinking. And just won't necessarily get up in front of the folks, the people of God, and say such a thing. I am tired of this church. I, I can empathize with the young man. I grew up in church and I was not allowed to not be active in church. The only way I was not, the only time I would not be active in church is if I was playing a sport. So if I wasn't playing football or running track, all of my spare time had to be spent at Light of the World Christian Church or whatever church we were at during that time. And so I had to spend plenty of time with the Brotherhood Ministry and spent a lot of time in youth choir and and youth council and all these things. My mother made sure boys' rites of passage and the Respect Academy. We do not have to agree 
but I must respect you and you must respect me. I spent all of this time in church and some people would not like that. Uh, some people would get tired of that. Just like this young man got tired of this church. I'm tired too. I'm tired of this church. Big C. Not little C. Big C. I'm tired of this church when we can be more concerned about song selection than saving souls. I'm tired of this church. When we're all concerned about our own personal dogmas rather than building disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm tired of this church. When our response to evangelism is for them to come out among us instead of do what Jesus said and go out into the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm tired of this church. When we can spend more time blasting a pastor who has multiple streams of income buying his bride a nice anniversary gift instead of being concerned about the bride of Christ. I'm tired of church. When I hear more talk about what pastor is dating what gospel artist than us getting in the lights in the right relationship with Christ. I'm tired of church. When we can spend a GoFundMe and raise 18 million dollars to build a wall to try to keep people out but we can't feed those people who are hungry. I'm tired of church. When these so-called Christians can say that a black man who faithfully attended Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, Illinois over and over again is a Muslim but somehow some man who don't know the difference between 2 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians has practically bragged about sexually assaulting people and has had affairs with porn stars is the anointed man of God. I'm tired of this church. I'm tired too. And here we have in the text that you read some boys who are not tired of church. They're not tired of church. The first passage is about Samuel, the son of Hannah and Elkanah, the promised child that Hannah prayed for because she was barren. Uh, Elkanah was married to both Hannah and Penina, and Penina kept having children, and because she was having children and Hannah was not having children, uh, Hannah was being mocked by Penina, and, and Elkanah did not make it any better because he tried him, him called himself cheering up Hannah when she was unable to have children, saying, ain't I worth more than ten sons to you? He didn't make it any better. But Hannah told God, if you give me a child, I will turn him over to you. You give me this child, I'll turn him over to you. And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed some more. She prayed so hard that the pastor saw her in the church and thought she was drunk. Have you ever prayed for something that hard? 
Have you ever prayed for something from God that you wanted so bad that people thought? you See, that is some of the problem with this church right now. We've gotten very dignified and not necessarily concerned about being a disciple. We love to say it don't take all that, but that don't match up with the Bible. David praised the Lord so hard he came out of his clothes. And when they mocked him and said a king shouldn't be acting like this, he said, I will become more undignified than this. If there is something you are seeking the Lord for, you got to be willing to lose your cool. You got to be willing to look a little foolish about it. You got to be willing to be undignified. And so Hannah prayed and prayed and prayed. And once she got the child, she thanked the Lord for what she got and gave the child back to the Lord. She sang a song in praise. When you read First and Second Samuel, you'll see. And she sang this song much like Mary sang a song when she found out that she was going to be pregnant with Jesus. And so he became the property of the church. She gave him to the church. And that meant he went to go live in the church. He went to go live in the church. But Eli was the priest of that church, and Eli had some sons as well who were so-called priests. Uh, another thing, I'm tired of this church, but these priests were taking, people were coming in and bringing in their offerings and their sacrifices to the Lord, and they were taken off the top. I'm tired of this church. There were sacrifices being made and God was not pleased with them. And so Samuel began his ministerial career as a child apprentice to Eli and an aged priest serving in a shrine in Shiloh. But he had corrupt sons. Had corrupt sons. Sons, and so that that because these were people in the place and doing the wrong thing, they got replaced. Mm. And so these people were were here trying to serve, and then Samuel is described as a boy wearing a linen ephod. And, and, and the message of the text is interesting. I, I find it interesting because the the the, the clothes that Samuel is wearing. Are plain clothes. They're ordinary working clothes. Samuel is in the church so much that it's ordinary. How much time do we spend working for God? Is it ordinary or is it just an hour and a half on Sunday? It may be an hour on Wednesdays or Thursday or Tuesday or whenever your Bible study is. But he was in there so much that he had to be, or it was ordinary. And it is a version of a high priest ceremonial garment worn by the high priest. But he was there and it was ordinary. And the word also says that he was devoted and of service. Unlike the sons who were born into it. Who took off the top. Saw them a little something, something in the congregation that they liked and they shot, they shot. Samuel is a child 
in church, in the tabernacle at Shiloh without his parents. And he's yet still ministering before the Lord. His mother, who had been childless and promised God if she was able to have a boy, she'd dedicate him to the service of the Lord. And after he was born and ready and off of, off of milk and able to eat silent food, Hannah dropped her son off at this church in care of the priest Eli. Now, we don't know how old he was at the time, but the text suggests that he was still a young child. And every year, Hannah went to visit him. She brought a new robe for him because he had been using the ordinary work clothes that he had. Things are designed to be used and then replaced. And she visited him once a year, traveling to the church regularly as was their custom. Traveling to the church regularly as was their custom. Traveling to the church regularly as was their custom. You know, we had uh, uh, the um, director of no clergy excellence come host a meeting here a few months ago on the tour the TAC, the Texas annual conference. He was going around to historical churches and brand new church plants and talking about what they are doing and what they are trying to do in order to get new churches in the area. And I found it interesting because he talked about something I, I, I had known myself already, but that, you know, in, in, with 6.3 million people from Houston to Galveston and in the surrounding areas, that only 400,000 people go to church. And what was actually even scarier about it is that that was from the most recent census. The previous census had put the greater Houston metropolitan area at 5 million and only 400,000 people going to church. So the greater Houston metropolitan area grew 1.3 million more people, but still nobody knew at churches. Churches all across the country burying more people than they bringing in. But the part that was interesting, as I see these people saying they go to church regularly, as was their custom, they regularly attended church. But the other thing that, that, that uh, the director for clergy excellence brought up uh, in, in his uh, presentation is that the average committed Christian only goes to church one point four times a month. That's the committed ones. And it's not just our faults. You know, the, the society has changed. I, re- I remember being in peewee football and my peewee football team making it all the way to the championship. And the championship game was on a Sunday, and there was some static about that because all the previous games had been on Saturday. And it was a big deal when I was growing up for this game to be on a Sunday. But now it ain't no big deal to put 
peewee football, volleyball, track, basketball, AAU, junior Olympics, everything else is, nothing used to compete with Sunday. Stores used to be closed. You couldn't buy certain things, but now we've moved from the place where the church was a moral authority to moral relativism. When everything is just as smart or just as equal as the church, and so the church has a bunch to compete with, and now if I go once a month, I'm good. Amen, lights. But they went regularly to church as was their custom and then they also made an annual pilgrimage into the temple to make an even greater sacrifice. And the mention of yearly sacrifice in 1 Samuel 18 is almost and certainly a double entendre. A yearly sacrifice to go to the church but a yearly sacrifice to go see your son who you turned over to the church. Samuel was uh, primarily the mother had already been the sacrifice of Samuel was primarily his mother's and it had already been made clear in the first opening verses. But Hannah's song and vow following Samuel's voice. But the focus on this passage is because they made that sacrifice. They're going to be blessed. Because of the gift that she made to the Lord. They're going to be blessed. And because they had that sacrifice, they were blessed. And Hannah, or Hannah's son, Samuel, was able to grow in both favor and stature in the Lord. Samuel got a whole two books named after him in the Bible. But he still had something to grow. If only we could have such a mentality. If only we could understand that we may not have arrived. If only we could understand that there's more to grow in no matter what age we are. Both young in age and young in faith. You can be 75 years old and still learn something new about the Bible. And you can be 20 and not know everything. We all have somewhere to grow. And Samuel grew in both favor and stature. With the Lord. And the scholars say that the author of the gospel, according to Luke, must have had this in mind when he was writing about Jesus in the, at the temple. Uh, I find it interesting in this passage that Jesus was there. And, you know, I used to hear all the time from many a biblical scholar that was a youth pastor. They would tell them that the text did not say that Jesus was teaching the people that he was listening and asking questions and one of the youth pastors I used to work with from time to time he'd tell the youth when he heard that as if Jesus didn't have it all figured out at 12 <laughs> maybe you don't either And as I cut across the field for this passage, there are some things that I noticed in the gospel according to Luke that, that, that find it interesting. First of all, for us and those who are young, but not just in faith, uh, those who are young at heart and those who are young in age and those who are young in faith, there are some things that I, I noticed that we can take with us into this coming year. Uh, first off, Mary had to notice that Jesus was gone. 
Mary had to notice that Jesus was gone. Do we notice those people who need Jesus or do we just walk by them? Is our response to those who are out and about in the world, they just need to come out among them or do we spend time reaching out to them? The Bible says that he who desires friends must show himself friendly. Are we noticing those who aren't here? Second thing I noticed about Mary in this passage where she went along is not only did she notice what first off she didn't notice, then she realized that he was gone. And once you notice that there are people who need to be here that are not, are you willing to reach out and get them? Twelve years old during the Bible time is practically grown. He could have made a way. You see, he was gone for three days and he wasn't dead. Mary made a way back to Jesus. Mary made a way back to something she had lost. Mary made a way and Joseph made a way back to something they had forgotten. Are you willing to reach out to the least, the last, and the lost? Or is your ignore game real strong? Do you take your foot off the gas so you don't have to make eye contact at the stoplight and let your car just re-ease up just a little bit? Is the microphone working? Hello? Check. Check, 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 check. Are we willing to go after those? It's one thing to notice we need more people. It's one thing to notice that these people need Jesus. It's one thing to notice that these people need help, but are you willing to go out and go after them? Or do you just complain about it and move on to the next thing? I was reading a book not too long ago talking about renegade pastors, but the renegade pastor said, uh, well, when the book, it was a weekly letter I get from him, monthly letter. And he said that diagnosis without prescription is malpractice. If you went to the doctor and the doctor said you have the flu or you have cancer or you have bronchitis and they just sent you back out the door without any kind of prescribed care or any plan of action to do something about it, they could lose their license. Diagnosis without prescription is malpractice. And we've been committing some Christian malpractice. The world needs Jesus, and then we go on about our business. So we got to be like Mary when we notice that something is wrong, when we notice that somebody is missing. We got to be willing to go after them. People quit the church all the time, but I've learned nine times out of ten, they weren't quitting God, they were quitting the people they were around. So we get tired of this church because we get tired of somebody in the church. But when we realize what's wrong, we got to be willing to go after them. 
come back and get them. And so she got there and they said, why have you made us this anxious? Not all that heard him. And when they saw them, it said, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? So then we have to understand that uh, we make a mistake. We're going to make some mistakes. We got to realize that we're going to have to do something about our mistakes. We're going to have to realize who's missing, and then we're going to have to come do something about it. Go back there and get them. Go back there and get those people who aren't traditional church goers. But then we also got to understand that once we bring them into the fold, that their mission may not be our mission. They may not like the songs we like. They may not like the liturgies that we like. They may not be interested in the ministry that we try to pigeonhole them into. You can go to church anywhere. You can get a church experience anywhere. You can get a church experience without even having Jesus. Ah, Let me prove it. Let me prove it. There's a church of secular humanism that gathers. uh, It's either Harvard or Yale, but they meet around that area, and they meet for about an hour or so. Every Sunday, they got a band. They sing songs. Somebody gets up and talks about uh, and gives them an inspirational message. They collect money and give it to charity, but ain't, Jesus ain't nowhere in it. It's a room full of atheists. So this discipleship thing has got to be more than about worship style. Discipleship is a lifestyle. You got saved, now what? Now what are you supposed to do? And understand that some of the people we bring in ain't going to be about the same mission that we're about. And so she told him this, and Mary should have known and would have known. God had already told her when she was pregnant with Jesus that this was going to be somebody that did some great things. But sometimes the message is for those who are listening. And so both boys, both Samuel and Jesus, the Bible tells us they both increased in wisdom and in favor with the Lord. And as we stand here on the last Sunday of 2018, it's an appropriate time to review how we have or have not done that. Are we better Christians than we were January 2018? Time and time again, I see people posting on social media how they're cutting people off and how they're doing all this. And sometimes I see the same status over and over and over again. And I think, well, if you've been doing this for the last three, four years, you probably shouldn't have any more friends. (laughs) Are we better from January to December? What areas of spiritual and moral development do we hope to grow in this coming year? Uh, For a pattern of Christian growth, we need to look at Jesus. He he was about his father's business at 12, and then later on when he goes to the temple, as was his custom when you read in your own later on, as he goes to the temple, he then 
pulls out a scroll, Isaiah, and talks about that the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has empowered me to preach good news and set the captives free and declare the acceptable year of the Lord. He had to have some growth in there. And so these things we ought to be looking at, if what we're growing out. And, and these people, when they have, would have met Jesus, they were simply a part of the Jewish population. Uh, 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 with faith meant going to the synagogue and keeping the commandments. But then by the time these people meet Jesus and encounter him, the disciples, they come to follow Jesus. And in doing so, they come apart from the crowd and begin to act on faith and go with them. And uh, notice that when Jesus brought in the disciples, he didn't cross-examine them. He didn't have a bunch of questions about who they were, where they've been, where they went to school, how much money they make, what kind of religion were they mama and daddy? Uh, are, are they good people? No. All, the, all Jesus said to the disciples was follow me. Solly said, follow me. And for us, spiritual growth is going to happen gradually. But we can look at the disciples and ask ourselves whether we are progressing in this journey of faith or whether we are regressing. Uh, are we like the disciples before meeting Jesus? Do we think that being a Christian means only to try to keep certain rules and go to church on Sunday? Are we following Jesus wholeheartedly? Yes. Are we like the disciples after responding to Jesus but before Pentecost where we may be able to recall the specific time that we committed ourselves to Christ or we may have pretty well accepted Christianity as it was presented to us as we grew up. But that's, that's cool. But has our faith stuck there? Are we still just wet, freshly baptized Christians? Or have we grown? Have we spent some time reading the word, studying, fasting, praying, sacrificing, giving, doing, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting those who are sick and in prison, binding up the wounds of the afflicted? That's all the things that the Bible tells us to do. The Bible says to forsake not the assembly of others. It says to behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It says that true religion is to take care of the widows and orphans. We're saved by faith, but once we get saved by faith, there's work to do. This is not just about fire insurance. This is not just a social club that's not open for membership. This is not a fraternity or a sorority that is not having a line this semester. There is work to be done. Not only is there work to be done out there, but there's work to be done in ourselves. And if our faith is real, but our spirituality is still immature, God is still able to use us. But we'd be missing out on a power from a more mature faith. Are we like the disciples of Pentecost where we have confidence in God despite the ups and downs in our lives? Where we have room in our faith but let our questions survive without destroying our spiritual Peace. 
the witness of scripture is that we can grow in faith. We can grow beyond the beginning stages of where we started into a belief of a more mature discipleship and is more, more adequate and more mature and that we can deal with the bumps and the potholes along the road, the road of life. We can grow into a church that we are no longer tired of. We can grow into a church that affects change in the community. We can grow into a church that if the doors close, the people in the community would be missing us. We can grow into a church that, that brings people in and makes mature disciples of Christ. These two boys in the passage were on the way to this journey. Are we? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook. 